Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yeah. The Laugh Podcast. I'm a host, the L Trade. Over there is Mr. Two Frames Bull. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Did you hear about the zoo that flooded out in Georgia? The state? No. <laughs> Country. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Tbilisi Zoo, I think. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Uh, it is sad. It's horrifying, but they uh, there's a bunch of wild animals running around. Rhinoceri. Uh, I think a couple of lions and bears. They saw a bear on top of a two-story building or something. They had to tranquilize. Did you see that? No, no that's... I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also kind of awesome. Jurassic World was a real place. Would you go? Oh, yeah, definitely. Did you enjoy going to the movie, Jurassic World? Yeah, uh, this was easily the most anticipated movie I had for the summer. Uh, Everyone knows what a huge fan I am of Jurassic Park, and I was very excited when I heard that they were rebooting the series and coming back strong. You're a Jurassic Park fanboy. Yeah, I mean, I was also the right age. I was 10 years old uh, for the first film, and now, uh, 22 years later, I'm you know, ready to go on this film, and I enjoyed the experience. I'm not sure I enjoyed it the same way I enjoyed Jurassic Park, but overall, I enjoyed this film. I thought it was enjoyable. I may end up going and watching it again, this time in 3D. It didn't, it didn't allow you to recapture your youth like you wanted? No, and, and I think we're going to get into some discussions about nostalgia, because there's a lot of... Uh, there are a few films coming out here that are attempts to recapture nostalgia. Probably most importantly, Star Wars later this year. Okay. You know, so we'll we'll talk about that. But overall, I think Jurassic Park or Jurassic World is a good film. I think it's targeted at kids and nostalgic adults like myself, not cynical old men like yourself. <laughs> Because you went with me, and I don't think you enjoyed it nearly as much. But, or I guess I shouldn't put words in your mouth. What did you think of it? I didn't enjoy it nearly as much. <laughs> it was it was passable. Um, I I think it's a B movie, and it's trying to disguise itself as an A movie, and that's where it falls. That's where it falls down for me. But I, I can say some good stuff about it. All right. Uh, who do you th- do you think it's a kid movie? I don't know. You asked me that question before the show, and it's hard for me to make that connection to it because I don't think like a kid anymore. And I'm trying to think of the of the little kids in my neighborhood that run around and the things that they're interested in. You know, I don't talk to them much either, but I'm just I don't I don't know if it's too sophisticated. If it would be too sophisticated or scary for them at the age of ten, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on. There's a lot of blood in this movie. There's a lot of scary, um, you know, suspenseful moments, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the first film had a lot of suspense in it. This probably has more violence in it, and like you said, more blood. And I don't know, I, I've never thought too much about violence in films. I I never had to stay away from them. Like, my parents kind of let me watch whatever I wanted, and I yeah, heard I th- about lots of violence from my dad's job as a firefighter. So that stuff never bothered me. But I've been thinking about this film versus Mad Max, which is an R-rated film, and Jurassic World is uh, PG-13. I'm not sure Mad Max is that much more violent in terms of blood. No, and in terms of the kinds of deaths that they linger on in mm-hmm. this movie, and the kinds of uh, the things that happen to, to seemingly real people, I think it would be harder for 10-year-olds to take than, than uh, Fury Road. Yeah. I think Fury Road would be easier for a kid to sit and watch, except for some of the creepy, gross stuff that, uh, you know, the sort of disfigured things that kids, you know, are kind of turned off by. The freakish elements of Fury Road might disturb them more. But if you intercut the violence from both the films, I think it would play pretty much the same way. And I know a lot of my students said they couldn't go see Mad Max because it was rated R and their parents wouldn't let them. Right. But... um half a billion dollars worth of people went to go see Jurassic World. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's a lot of children went to go see it. Uh, the theater we were in had a lot of young children, I'd say 10 years old, maybe a little younger. Well, you say it's geared to 10-year-old. And people had no problems, though, showing it to their kids. No, And no I thought, 
I just think that that's interesting. It's a ratings issue for me, and on, on those terms, because there is a lot of stuff. I'd like to talk about some of it later, maybe in spoilers, because to talk about it now would not do the film justice for people that haven't seen it yet. So let's recap the movie just for people that you know haven't seen it. This is um, produced by Steven Spielberg, but he didn't direct it. Who was the director? Uh, Trevorrow? Yeah, Trevorrow. And he did Safety Not Guaranteed, and a movie I haven't seen. Uh, but I understand that one of the actors in this movie is was big in that movie. And I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Who looks like um, he is the younger brother of our favorite actor of the laugh era. Oscar Isaac, yeah. yeah. Actually, I I was going to run through some of that because that that ties into my idea that this is a B movie disguised as an A movie. But so Trevor O directs, and did he write? Does he have a writing credit as well? I believe so. I believe there's he a had whole, a hand in the script. There's about five or six different screenwriters. <laughs> That's always a bad sign. I've pointed that out before in movies. Like if you don't have one clear vision and it's a vision by committee or by posse, then you wind up putting a whole lot of stuff in there that maybe doesn't really mash up. Yeah. Fit. I mean, that's also the problem. This is a $180 million uh, budgeted movie. You've got Steven Spielberg as an executive producer. Who makes the final decision on this film? I don't know. I think it's decision by committee. Yeah. Um, And some of those decisions didn't really work for me, but, for the most part, they sort of, mm, I guess there's some side-by-side comparisons you could make with Jurassic Park in terms of this is the vision that John Hammond had, and it's been pulled to fruition, and now it's a fully functioning park that, according to the script, and I can't remember, uh, only saw a 2.3% increase in sales <laughs> or profits Last, last year or from quarter to quarter or something, for some reason, they feel that they have to amp up the entertainment value. So the best thing to do is to create a new dinosaur, the Indominus Rex. Um, I guess the hero figure is uh, played by... Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt plays a guy named Owen. Can't remember his last name. Uh, I'm not sure that they even <laughs> gave not- it big on last names they're not big on character development the other main character is and plays sort of a love interest or a woman in peril is um just oh sorry bryce dallas howard <laughs> and uh she plays a sort of head of the park who's in charge of the day-to-day operations and she's the one behind making the decision to go with this uh indominus rex this genetically modified monster which is basically a T-Rex with longer arms. Pretty much. So it could smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, that's the biggest thing. problem with the T-Rex. It looks big and powerful, but it's got those two dinky front arms. But see, this one doesn't really jump up. See, I would have like big jacked up uh, superhero arms, like with big biceps and stuff. This just has claws. The claws are a lot longer. It's hard. It would be hard for me as a layman, to distinguish between that dinosaur and a T-Rex. Mm-hmm. That's one of the one of the drawbacks I have with the creature design, because if they had made that less like look less like a T-Rex and more like something else, it might have had a bigger impact visually. Well, I know they started putting some scales on its back, but it started to look like uh, Godzilla, uh, the Matthew Broderick version. Right. Uh, from like 96 or so. This is during production or? No, if you look at some shots, uh-huh. the design is starting to creep towards Godzilla, which was more reptilian right. in, uh, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla film that, you know, the Japanese, uh, Godzilla filmmakers have all disavowed and said, you yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. is not Godzilla. Um, you know, it doesn't look anything like a man in a rubber suit. I think that's one of the problems. How do you create a scary-looking dinosaur that's also original? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they did it. They didn't pull it off really well. There's one line which, I mean, maybe I didn't hear it right. It didn't really hold up, but one guy sees it and says, It's white. 
it would have been creepier had it remained white yeah, through would, the whole movie, and it doesn't. No, it can change its color. It can camouflage. But they didn't... You find that out later. Uh, not that much later. I think pretty much later. It wasn't, it wasn't camouflaged as a white creature. It was like its basic skin tone was white. And there's a whole lot of like interesting things that you could do with that. Or scale tone, I guess. Just like uh, in terms of like Moby Dick. Yeah, this pale whiteness. If you if you made it not scaly, but like a pale skin, like a don't zombie dinosaurs type. have to be scaly though? Not genetically modified dinosaurs don't have to be anything. But I mean, that's the whole thing. It, 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 at what point, if you're going genetically modified, does it stop being a dinosaur and become something else? Why not give it giant ape arms? Yeah, I mean, so if I you're really trying to create some cre- crazy creature, but then it stops being a dinosaur. Yeah, make a liger. Or a griffin. Um, no, I mean, to me, the, w- one of the bigger conceits of the film is they wanted to make a dangerous-looking dinosaur, and that to look dangerous, it also has to be dangerous. And you would yeah, think if you can do right. genetic modification, it wouldn't. Yeah, they, they could make those... You could make the, the claws look dangerous, but you could also make them really brittle so that they'll fall apart. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> they don't have to be, you know, tungsten... Wouldn't it be cooler to make a dinosaur that operates more like Dino from the Flintstones? Yeah, I'd like that. You know, that's friendly and acts like a dog. Acts like Rue. Yeah. When, when Pounces you wanna... on you like she did that. Yeah. Yeah, then why make a genetically modified Dino? I don't know. It... Uh, but uh, this movie, I guess, it, it always has the problem of, in Jurassic Park, it was, wow, they can do that. And even when they explain the science, it seems somewhat plausible, like right. that we'd be able to do this in the future. Now, when they go, "Oh, we genetically modified this animal," we're like, "Of course you did. Of course you can do that." Even it's not staggering. This doesn't seem like some giant leap in technology and ability. It's like, well, of course you would go and do this. And they were already genetically modifying the dinosaurs back in Jurassic Park. That was the whole reason why the park went haywire. They had more dinosaurs in there than they thought. They thought that they had made right. all the dinosaurs female, female right. but they had used like some frog chromosome, mm-hmm. and the frogs can change sex. Right. So there were actually like twice as many dinosaurs running around yeah, in the I'm park. Not really sure if it's a good idea to spoil a Jurassic Park uh, twenty-two-year-old movie. All right, it's a big plot point though, but but I mean, so in this film, when they go, "Oh, we genetically modified a dinosaur," it's like, but wait, you've been doing that. <sighs> I guess. Yeah, but they wanted to distinguish this from other dinosaurs. Now, was the the mosasaur, the the sort of Sea World mm-hmm. kind of killer whale like thing, was that a genetically modified creature? Like, because yeah, I don't know, but I mean right. that thing seems pretty amazing. Yeah, that was that was a unique part of the movie. I liked that. I liked some of the visuals attached to that. And if you want a creature that you could really make scary and dangerous i think that's the dinosaur you push further the marketing for it one of the posters has a mosasaur or something mm-hmm. attacking a great white underwater and i don't know if it's a spoiler to say that that's not in the movie necessarily not that same image but some of the ideas are that was what made me interested in the movie so that was actually effective marketing for me but I'm kind of creeped out by things that float underwater and can attack you without you seeing it. Yeah, and it's also kind of meta that this is coming from Steven Spielberg, who made his career on a great white shark. Yeah, I read an article. I can't remember which one it was. I wrote down the titles of some of these articles. So I wish I could give credit to this person, but they pointed out that, uh, hey, wait a minute, uh, isn't the great white shark an endangered species? So we're feeding this prehistoric animal... Uh, an endangered species. <laughs> oh yeah, for our entertainment, it's like what a one of but the. But I mean, even feeding it, the great white is so small. The amount of biomass you would have to feed this dinosaur to keep it alive would be ridiculous. Wouldn't it make sense for them to have the own source, like to to like genetically create the sources of food for these creatures? Yeah, like they have a different part of the park that's just. They're creating these animals to feed them. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems. Once we start to see this park function a little bit, it starts to fall apart at the seams. Right. Well, a lot of podcasts and a lot of articles that we've read have done a pretty good job of like breaking it down mm-hmm. and saying what's horrible about the movie, but what's what's good about it? What do you like about it? Oh, why did I like it? Because I guess, one, visually the movie looks great. Mm. I think the special effects are great. The dinosaurs look great. 90% of the time there were a couple scenes I didn't feel that the human interaction with the dinosaurs was that uh, believable. Yeah. Uh, mostly uh, Chris Pratt deals with some raptors fairly early on, and there are yeah. some shots with him and the raptors, and I, I don't know, that didn't mesh well. But overall, the special effects were great. Um, there's a classic uh, monster movie moment where the monsters attack, the dinosaurs attack right. later on in the film, and I thought visually that worked really well. So some of the visual things. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I, I wouldn't mind going back and seeing that in 3D. I thought the movie was funny. I laughed a lot at it. And I think all the moments we laughed, we were supposed to laugh. Really? Because I remember distinctly laughing at it and not with it. <laughs> I felt like I was laughing at some of the things that they were trying to do in the sense of this is just so over the top and ridiculous. When this movie is trying to take itself seriously... See, I disagree. I don't think the movie ever mm. took itself seriously. I don't know. I, I don't think know. it was ridiculous from the very beginning. I, I, I think it wanted to get. It wants to have both things. It wants to be able to to have it have its uh its genetically modified meat source and eat it too. No, I, 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 it's no, it's me, Ele, it's it's like Eliza Doolittle trying to be Eleanor of Aquitaine. <laughs> That's what it seems like to me. No, no. Uh, the Judy Greer character, the mother, she's over the top. And, and remember to run if anything chases you. That's a stupid line. It's a stupid, but She stupid makes line. multiple lines like that. <sighs> she's, she's just this crazy mother who's sending her children off to go see their aunt, uh, the Bryce Dallas Howard character, Claire. Right. To go see her Claire. park. Uh, and she's just she's ridiculous. No one in here seems to take themselves seriously. I like Chris her. Pratt strikes a pose every time he rides an elevator. I, yeah, but I I don't mind. So to me, I I think a lot of people went in thinking this was going to be a serious film, and that it was going to be really smart and intelligent. And I don't think it ever was. All right. And I if, think if that from, they would. I think that they would argue differently. The filmmakers, I think, had the bigger plans in mind. It's imitating like an A movie. It's a B movie, and that's the parts that I laughed at and enjoyed. Okay. Uh, I didn't want to crap on it this early, but I mean, I had so many problems with the story that it's kind of hard not to. And like I said, I think it's a B movie, and if it were Sharknado 4, then, or Dinosaur NATO, <laughs> Dino NATO. I, I think the problem is Jurassic Park did such a good job, and overall it was a fairly smart film. I mean, there are huge plot holes in that film, and there are huge inconsistencies. Mm. But it, it was made by Steven Spielberg, a, a great director who knows how to hold your attention. This film is about animals going crazy. Well, and I would acting say, like animals. Yeah, but but when you compare it to stuff like Deep Blue Sea, Snakes on a Plane, uh, even Planet of the Apes, I think that this is a better film. Oh, yeah, I think it's better than Planet of the Apes. I haven't seen Snakes on a Plane, so I don't know. But Snakes on a Plane knows it's a B-movie. I, I know, this but movie, when you have uh, something, when animals attack, it, it doesn't lend itself to high concept. It doesn't lend itself to great art. I think this movie is trying to have it both ways. When? Where is a scene where it tries to have it as great art? Well, I mean, just in the production design, in in terms of setting up the world with the gyroscope. Uh, what is it? The gyroscope, the little hamster ball yeah, yeah. that the kids roll around in. Um, or it had a big the whole budget. Idea of having it isolated. Yeah, that's not the same as. Mm, it also high art. <laughs> I I think it's it's dealing with. All right, they shoehorn in that whole um, divorce plot, subplot. Yeah. Uh, they try to get some pathos out of that. They, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to establish this 
character arc for Jessica Chastain's character, the Claire character, mm-hmm. which, you know, you could argue whether or not it works, but I think that's where I see that the movie is trying to reach for these, these heights. It's trying to hit its moments and have some um, empathy in its audience. Yeah, I think it's trying to appeal to a, a deeper sense of than instead of just throwing out something for kicks and you you don't think some of these moments are satirical? I don't know. It's hard to tell this in terms of tone. This movie's all over the place. Now then, seems to make fun of itself at times, but then it falls right back into itself. I, uh, last week when we were doing our top five list, we talked about the master, and one of the things I said was you could set up that film. Uh, for a film class, 20 different ways. Like, you could write out a setup and give it a different one to each of your right. students so that they would see something different in the film. If I told you this movie was a comedy and that this is a satirical film that's making fun of when animals attack, and if that was the way it was marketed to you, do you think you would see this film in a different light? No, I'd still be disappointed that it didn't deliver on its promise. Really? With as much as we were laughing at the set, at moments in the film. But that's, I'm laughing at irony there. I'm not laughing at, I don't think that those were contrivances where they designed, set up, you know, the joke and then punchline. I think that they happened in the moment and then they, 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 I think that they were trying for gravitas that didn't exist at times. Oh, really? Because uh, there are two kisses, or at least two attempted kisses in this film. Right. But f- we are kind of getting into spoiler territory in a way. That, uh, yeah, that's I, I'm not. I'm not visually, uh, even thematically. So are we? Ready? All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, no, I'm no, not no. To I, be a I, no, I, that's fine. We can get into spoilers then. All right. But when you want to say the movie's not satirical, I would point out the two kiss scenes. And there's some other things that you could point out, but that's that's a function of tone being all over the place. Like when I think of satire, I'm thinking of something like. Uh, you know, movies like Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles, those kinds of things. Even there's a dinosaur movie with Ringo Starr in it that was satire, yeah. th- that worked as satire, where they, these, you know, cavemen, I think it's called Caveman, mm-hmm. and uh, it operates on a different level. The Jerk is satire. It's operating on a different level than this movie. This movie has inadvertent comedy, and like I said, I found myself laughing at it. Okay. A lot more than laughing with it. I don't think those two kiss scenes are inadvertent. No, but so I think there's we a better in, way to handle that. I think there's okay, a better okay, way to handle this. Can we get into spoilers then? <laughs> so we can go into some detail on this? Yeah, but is there any reason for them to go see it? Yes. All right. It's a Jurassic Park movie. This is the this is the second best one out of the four. Is that and I think this is very enjoyable. If you want summer popcorn blockbuster, I would go see this We film. just did our top... Well, we didn't do our top ten of the year, but do you think our yeah. top five of these, this, this would fit in there somewhere? Yeah, easily. All right. I think you should go see it for the visual stuff. But, not but then you could also watch some highlights on <laughs> some some clips and stuff and maybe get the same experience. But anyway, all right, so let's get into spoilers since you're also angry. And no, I, no, I think bitter about it. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. There are two kiss scenes in this film. The first one is after um, the Bryce Dallas Howard character saves Chris Pratt. He's being attacked by a pterodactyl. She shoots the pterodactyl. And that's rife with um, all sorts of phallic imagery. Chris Pratt kisses her, and it's the typical, you know, look, we've had a heroic moment. Of course, the two main characters have to fall in love. And we've seen this done in a lot of other films. This is sped up, and it's ridiculous. Later on, Jake Johnson tries to kiss the other um, technician. And it's a slow build-up. Oh, you know, I'm going to stay behind and be the hero, be heroic. And he tries to kiss her, and she stops him. Right. I have a boyfriend. Right. It's the same setup. And I don't think the Jake Johnson scene works nearly as well if we haven't already had that ridiculous kiss with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Because they've set up in this world characters kiss when there's an extreme moment right, that, that we're given to great emotions. Instead of the reality is, no, I don't like you. 
we just work together. Why would right. we kiss? And in that sense, that, that becomes ridiculous, the second kiss. The first kiss is something that they're trying to set up because they're trying to set up sexual tension between these two characters throughout. And it's not until that final scene when that they've reunited the family because mm-hmm. now she becomes the surrogate mother and he becomes the surrogate father and the kids he's sort of like glom onto them as a as a I don't know a family figure and it, it sort of goes along with the flow and it's sort of expected and it's a trope and it's just there. The second one is a joke with no setup. The second kiss just kind of happens. There's no reason for that for you to assume that there's any sort of relationship between these two people. So if, if they had done something earlier where they flirted, maybe if they had if they had had any other interaction except for that one scene where he tries to kiss her, then that might have been funnier. It oh, might have I, fit better. I think it's funnier because that it, the Jay Johnson character is so self-aware in the entire film of what's going on and what's appropriate for a situation. He's the one that goes on and on about marketing and advertisers, sponsors. Yeah, but... And so then for him to do the stereotypical move that you would see in tons of films, that makes it funny. All right. I I I laughed there, but it it wasn't any funnier than any of the other things I was laughing at. I think you have to have the Chris Pratt character going in for the kiss with Chris Dallas Howard. And yeah, their romance is contrived and it's forced, but we've seen it in so many other films. But she's in true peril throughout, and so is he. The Chris Pratt character and Claire, mm-hmm. uh, Owen and Claire, running around, they're in a lot of peril, and then that draws you together. There's that sort of, that, that thing plays out in movies a lot. The Jake Johnson character and this other person, that's, she's not that funny. I mean, they're they're not in any peril it just didn't i mean i laughed i laughed it didn't work for you but i also laughed at this all right okay Uh, i don't think we're going to be able to agree on the kissing um what about when they need a helicopter pilot right and the eighth richest man in the world goes i'm going to do it right see you think that was played for laughs yes all right i mean it's not everybody's a ridiculous setup but you should be laughing. Uh, you have a SWAT team in there. They're trained to do this. The plan is, if a dinosaur goes crazy, that you're going to load a machine gun onto a helicopter and go kill the dinosaur. Good plan. But your plan doesn't include a helicopter pilot. <laughs> or the island only has well, one helicopter pilot. Well, that was sort of a makeshift pilot. plan because, again, they, they retrofitted that gun onto that. When they, when if they they If this had been a real working park... They would have had probably several helicopters in place. Yeah, there's no way on this island you have one helicopter to right. get around. Well, and then randomly another helicopter shows up from somewhere. Yeah, from I guess. But Costa there's Rica. military, like paramilitary and military crawling all over this island. I just, but I don't think that scene was played for laughs. I think that that was played for here's the heroic, you know, irony. This guy's going to set himself up as a hero, but then. He crashes into the into the aviary. Yeah, he, he puts his helicopter right above the hole so that all the pterodactyls will fly right into his uh, helicopter. Which, again, it's just... The, oh, the, it's ridiculous. Well, just the whole idea that there's this glass bowl of, of pterodactyls that they hadn't visited before. That comes out of the blue. If they had visited that place before, mm-hmm. then that would have made more sense. But then we start getting to the problems of exposition. I felt the first 30 minutes, there was a lot of exposition. They were really trying to set up the world. And they were trying to go through as quickly as possible. And the problem is when you have a, a huge park that has 20,000 people in it. Yeah. I guess they're trying to make it the equivalent of like a Disney World. Disney World is huge. And it stretches out for acres and acres and yeah. acres. How do you explain all of this stuff? Even, you know, just showing it to an audience visually so that they notice everything. I'm betting they showed us that dome earlier in the film. We either didn't notice it or didn't think it was important. Right. Well, they, if they showed it to us, they didn't explain it. And they didn't have it. They, no one went in there. Yeah. But then that's another the three or four minutes that you've got to spend but on it. But it's such an important part of the of that horror setup where 
swarms of people get, you know, a herd of people get attacked by swarms of flying pterodactyls. And it's such a huge set piece that happens out of nowhere. It, it, it didn't make any sense in terms of where they had budget and they had things that they could have shown us. They chose not to show us that one thing. Uh, okay. That didn't make sense to me. I, I agree it wasn't well done. But in the original Jurassic Park, when the T-Rex attacks the vehicles, um, you've seen them by this fence. All of a sudden, the T-Rex shows up and starts to nudge them towards a gigantic cliff that we've never seen before. That just pops up for story purposes to knock the vehicles over the edge. We've never seen this cliff before. It would have been an actually so, an interesting visual to see these jeeps riding along the edge of a cliff next to this fence that's keeping in the T-Rex so are, dinosaur. Are, do you think that this is an homage to that lapse in storytelling? In no, the first I'm movie? saying it's a plot hole in Jurassic Park. For whatever reason, visually, that scene in the original film is so arresting that we don't notice that plot hole. And this, but this is this is obvious. This is knock you over the head. Obvious. It's and it's inane and yeah, ridiculous. But, but it's also. How would the T-Rex hybrid defeat a helicopter with a machine gun? It does. Don't they They run off some 50 caliber? Yeah, and it, run, it, it runs into the dome. But, I mean, you have to have some sort of wacky plot device to defeat the helicopter. There's no way the T-Rex is defeating the helicopter in real life. Okay, but that's a different argument. That's a different point you're making. <sighs> I think like whatever having... you come up with for storytelling, it's going to be ridiculous. I'm betting they storyboarded a bunch of ideas and nothing worked well. Yeah. So but... it's what can we do that's visually interesting and we want to get these pterodactyls out because we haven't really ever seen much in the way of pterodactyls in the previous films. Okay. But, <laughs> if you had said, I want to go see, all right, Let's plan out our day, uh, Nick, mm-hmm. or whatever, the Zach, or whatever. Yeah. The first thing I want to do is go see the pterodactyls in the pterodactyl aviary. Oh, it's been closed down because um, they're breeding right now, and there's several hundred thousand of them. In there. All right. So you wanted just another line of exposition. A line. And, you, and then A you're reference. fine with that whole scene. You could. I'm not fine with it. It still doesn't work because I'm not a professional <laughs> screenwriter. It would have been better if they had visited that part of the park first. See, to me, I... It would have been better. I understood very quickly why the dome was there. You've got the pterodactyls in there. I understood that very quickly. My problems with the scene was that's the way the the helicopters were going to be defeated. That was so over the top. And then we have to put the billionaire on there because we have to kill him off. So then the paramilitary guys can take over the island. Well, I mean, a better... An easy fix to to that is this guy, because of his hubris, and also works thematically, thinks he can fly the plane or the helicopter, but he can't fly the helicopter very well, and he flies into a couple of trees, and then he gets defeated. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, that would have made more sense than him, you know. But to me, it's the ridiculousness. When they went to the T-Rex's cage at the beginning, it's being guarded by a fat, doughy security guy. Right. Who's not paying any attention, and somehow you know they lose track of the dinosaur. And as soon as you see the fat doughy security guard, you know he's going to die. Right, I hate that. <laughs> Being a fat doughy person myself, but that's where I'm saying the the film knows that it, it can't take itself seriously. Yeah, I mean that's a trope, though. The fat guy is always going to get. I destroyed. think it's tropes throughout it's the whole thing. One. Okay, it is. It, it, so, I mean, that's why I didn't have a problem. I just went with it. I laughed. Right. I think I told you after the film, this is a film to go watch with a group of people so that you can all laugh and you can hear your buddies laugh. Yeah, you can it. make a laugh track out of it or you could sit there and, and Later this summer, joke I've it. got some buddies coming down and we're doing Snakes on a Plane because it is ridiculous. Right. But see, Snakes on a Plane is operating as a B-movie. It's not trying to be, it's not having trying to have these grandiose themes and ideas that this thing is. I don't think this has any grandiose themes. Oh, all right. Or ideas. I think really? it's just visual and it's summer blockbuster. You it's don't a think popcorn it has, flick. You don't think it has themes? Grandiose themes? Yeah. Ideas of hubris and, and, and the whole concept of who are we beholden to in terms of, like, who do we answer to as a society? 
the rampant commercialism. I mean, it's making a statement about that again, but it's trying to have it both ways. Yes, if if any scene tries to have it both ways, it's when they talk about uh, the sponsors and commercialization. While she's drinking a Starbucks cup. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that would be the scene I would point to for your argument. But all movies have themes, right? But they don't try to. They don't. They don't play them up. Do you think that the the base through uh, line of snakes on a plane is some theme. Survival some of the concept. fittest. Huh? Survival of the fittest. <laughs> Alright. This movie... Alright. The the biggest thing this movie's missing is Michael Crichton. And the dialogue of Jurassic Park is far superior to the dialogue of this movie. This movie... I don't know if anyone has... Aside from the, the one scene where they're, they're talking about commercialism, I don't think that there's more than six words in a line of dialogue. Whereas, if you look at some of the exchanges, there's long uh, exchanges of ideas between characters, and there's like four or five different viewpoints going Mm -hmm. back and forth and sort of a roundtable discussion about what they're doing, questioning where they are and where they stand in terms of, you know, trying to genetically modify or bring back dinosaurs and just some of the, the, I guess, the Ian Malcolm character. Mm -hmm. He's got some of the, I mean, some really awesome lines that are coming right from Crichton. He says things like, the problem with scientific power that you're using here is it doesn't require any discipline to attain it. You read what others have done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on the plastic lunchbox. And now, you're selling it. You want to sell it. All right. Compare that to watch your six. Raptors got a new alpha. <laughs> I, I agree. This movie would be better if Michael Crichton was involved with it. Crichton, well, I'm just talking about dialogue. That's my point. I'm not even talking about ideas. I'm talking about dialogue, actual things that people say that make sense. If something chases you run, <laughs> it's just, it's inane. It, it it made me it made my hair hurt just listening to some of those ridiculous lines. But if you look at them through a satirical lens, then it's you know passable. It, it works then. All right. I mean, <laughs> it, here's the thing: anytime you you keep making movies in a series, they start to become a parody of themselves, and they are so self aware. And I also think this is one of the problems with nostalgia. You're trying to please too many masters. You're trying to please an adult audience like myself, who's early 30s, who saw the original film when they were a child and loved it. You're trying to please them, and you're also trying to please a new generation of children. That's really hard to do, and I'm not sure that there's a film that you can point to that does this well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Um, I don't think the Star Wars movies, that second trilogy, didn't work for a lot of people. It didn't work for the for the original fans but it, it started said. a whole new brand of fanboy the 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 rampant fanboy enthusiasm for Star Wars began with the second set of the second trilogy yeah it, it definitely helped a lot but then i mean they were also re-releasing the the previous trilogy you have the internet becoming much more prevalent right the internet had that and it, it, it was a conflagration of events but and those factors. those initial movies angered most of the fans of the of the early star wars and what the early star wars stood for okay but the people that are getting geared up about this next set of star wars movies are the fanboys of the the first three the first three movies? And I'm not sure not why the very first three. Sorry, episodes one, two, and three. And I'm not sure why they feel that these movies can capture the same spirit. You'll have to. Talk you can to never those step in the same river twice. <laughs> right. Time marches on. You'd have to talk to those kinds of fanboys. I think you know some of them. And they might be able to make more eloquent arguments about whether or not it will. Yeah capture their imagination i mean one thing is those movies are set so far into the future you don't have to worry about technology changing i think no, Jurassic, no. 
It's a long time ago. Okay, whatever. In a galaxy far, far away. Fine. <laughs> whatever. Don't condescend to the Star Wars, man. Okay, it's it's set in a science fiction universe. One of the problems with Jurassic World is the technology has changed. Like I said, genetic modification can occur now so easily. Um, I think this is why we've never seen Home Alone get rebooted. That's another nostalgic film from my childhood. The whole idea that you couldn't get in contact with your child now is impossible. Oh, the phone lines are down. Sorry, it'll be four days. Right. Now with cell phones and the internet, Unless you send email, them off to some text. island off the coast of uh, Costa Rica. Well, then he's not really home alone, is he? <sighs> but, I mean, that's the problem. You know, I, I don't think that's... Or that's why we can't recapture stuff. Um, with the Star Wars films, when they tried to redo Yoda and they studied puppets and they tried to get the cloth-like feel of the Yoda puppet and they just couldn't make it look right. And they studied it and studied it and then they figured out that the human hand that was puppeteering Yoda had a slight tremor to it. That all humans, you know, shake very slightly. We can't keep perfectly still. Hmm. So they had to then engineer that into the video. Oh. You know, the, right. the, that level, just you know, it's so hard to recapture that look from the 70s. You know, it doesn't matter what we do, I guess, is my point. Hmm. And I think these nostalgic films are always going to fail to a certain extent if you can't enjoy them on their own merits. All so, right. and, you know, at the end of the year... Well, when you say fail, obviously you're not counting on the fact that it's made uh, half a billion dollars in three days or four days. When yeah, you mean by I, fail, you mean by fail I think the audience, artistically. Uh, yeah. And, and when I think but critics not commercially. are trying to hold it up to this ridiculous standard and they don't understand what the movie's trying to be. Well, you say that too, but there's a lot of audience members that didn't like the movie either. And yet it's still made. I mean, it's people like, went to go see it, which it'll be interesting it. to see what a sequel does. That's what I was going to ask you. What do you think they'll go with that? What will a sequel look like? If I were doing this, if I had to no, go. What do, you, what do you think it'll be? If you were going to do it, it would be very different than what I think they're going to go with. What I think they should do, I don't know if they're going to do it. The most interesting dinosaur is that sea dinosaur. Have that thing get loose. And turn in, no, Jur in Jurassic sea. Park on water. Okay. You know, have a big boat chasing after it, do scenes underwater, trying to wrangle this thing. I, I think that's interesting. You can't build a third park and have things get out of control again. All right, this is where I think that they're going with it in terms of what they set up in the film. Those, they will have weaponized raptors, and they're going to have to call in Raptors with freaking lasers on their head. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will have co-opted that that uh, whole uh, storyline from from Leonard Part 6. <laughs> so bad. I think that's where they're going to go with it. Maybe. Uh, somehow you're going to have to get the... Either you go on the seas or you're going to have to get, get the dinosaurs loose in a city. I think that it's on, a, it's, it's on a battlefield. I think that they've made these raptors... Because that's that's the true villain of the movie. That's the villain that they set up in the movie, and it's the easiest villain that you can that you can point to is the military. Yeah. The, the the one person that you find most distasteful in the movie is the Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio character who plays Hoskins, and he's just a he he is a surrogate for the military machine, oh, which so is just so ridiculous. I mean, the whole I, I read him as he gave. He gives one monologue where basically he says, if we have weaponized dinosaurs, we can win the war on terror. Right. And to me, that plays like an old 80s action film. I mean, it's like Rambo saying, can we win the war this time? When he gets recruited to go save the POWs in Rambo First Blood Part 2. Right. You, you see that as satire. I think it's the plot point of the entire <laughs> second movie of, and the, of this reboot. It, it could be. Where do you think he's getting these ideas, though? Aside from Leonard Part 6. Who? who Spielberg? No, apparently Hoskins. Where does D'Onofrio's character, in the movie, in the construct of the movie... To weaponize dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah, from all of our successful experiments with lions and hippos in the Gulf Wars. Or the Nazis when they tried to uh, train German shepherds to have bombs strapped to them and run underneath tanks. But they got scared by the loud noise and ran back to the their uh, 
officers. They convinced Hitler. Hitler. They had scientists convinced Hitler that uh, German shepherds could talk. Yeah. It's like you could have a SEAL team made out of SEALs. <laughs> didn't, America, didn't we try to strap bombs to bats so that like they would fly into the enemy territory and blow up their barns well, they and had, stuff? The Day of the Dolphin was a movie that was based on a, a weaponized dolphins. Yeah, Batman Returns have penguins with uh, rockets strapped to their backs. No, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think trying to weaponize animals has always been ridiculous. It is. It's a ridiculous plot point. But what was Owen doing with those Velociraptors to begin with? What was he training them for? Proving that they can learn. And they Vegas Stage Show. He was going to bring be them. Awesome. <laughs> Could that be the plot of the next movie? Oh, Siegfried and Roy's adopted children. <laughs> Siegfried and, Ro- and Ra- Raptors. Siegfried oh, and Raptors. That would be Owen. awesome. <laughs> there you go. Raptors loose in Vegas. A lot of problems with the Raptors in this movie, man. A lot of problems with them. There weren't enough of them. The whimsical transference of loyalty. That happens on a dime. Like, yeah. Look, I saw the movie Nail. Nell. Did you ever see the movie? No. Yeah. I know that language acquisition is not tied to DNA. So just the fact that they share some DNA doesn't mean that they're going to communicate with each other. The Indominus Rex is not going to be able to talk. The Indominus Rex that was, that was raised alone is not going to be able to communicate in any way with the Velociraptors. I agree. I, again, I think they just tried to figure out some way to get it so that dinosaurs would fight other dinosaurs. But... How do they have it that they switch back loyalty to Owen? Because somehow you have to have them be good dinosaurs to fight the bad dinosaurs. I I know, but I think that's where some executive from the movie studio said, you need to have a scene of dinosaurs fighting dinosaurs. Well, why would the dinosaurs fight for us? Oh, well, we, we trained them to. Yeah, but why would they switch loyalties and then kill? They kill that whole special forces unit except for Owen, and then at the end of the movie they come back. To you mean Owen. the forces unit because they're not special? They <laughs> missed all the dinosaurs. They had machine guns. Yeah, they had RPGs and machine guns trained right at the dinosaur, yeah. and then they waited to find out what was going on, and then they missed. Someone in uh, it might have been movie BS with Baron Snyder's another podcast. They compared it to the scene where Baxter falls into the bear hit, bear pit in Anchorman. <laughs> and he makes the bear back down. <laughs> they compare those Velociraptor seeds. I don't know. Yeah. I, I... All right. So that's easy. Yeah. It's an easy thing to like nitpick. Yeah. But I'll tell you what the biggest problem I had with this movie was. Aside from the fact that it didn't have Michael Crichton in it. I hated. Th- this is the overlying arching theme throughout it. Is this idea of insubordination. All right. And uh, the egregious examples of insubordination that went all throughout it. The whole reversal of power structures. That's what, in terms of communications and expectations and, like, who answers to whom. And how every subordinate settles someone else's hash for them. You know, whoever is their superior. They go to them. And it's, it, it reminds me of dealing with kids all the time who, in so- our society... There is no there is no hierarchy of authority. We've given up on that idea, and this movie embraces it. This movie pulls that to another level. So what you're saying is you've complained about the movie not being realistic, and now your biggest gripe with the movie is in the one way it is realistic, you wish it wasn't. <laughs> no, I don't. Because you just made an argument that children act this way, that this is what our society is turning into. Why did the movie have to do it this way? Why did the movie have to realistically depict society? My problems weren't necessarily with the verisimilitude of the movie. Well, with this, in this one aspect, you don't like this depiction of um, anti-authority. No, it's too real. It's too real, yeah. Right. I never Everything else you've been arguing with the movie is too unrealistic. No, it's too stupid. Not that it was unrealistic. In fact, I liked the realistic portrayal of the, of the dinosaurs. I didn't think the people were very realistic. The okay. characters. All right. I didn't have any problems with the realism of the movie. I don't know if I made any comments about whether or not it was realistic. Just that it was inane and stupid. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, you, you, but you I mean, seem to be arguing it's so stupid no one would actually do things that way. Which to me means unrealistic. That their behaviors are unrealistic. 
And I, I understand we're starting to play with just the semantics of words here. Yeah, but no, I think you might have been missing some of my other points. Which that doesn't surprise me. I don't know if you were listening the whole time. <laughs> no, I, I was just trying to be Let's funny. try to bore you. All right. No, this, the whole idea through this movie is that every single subordinate is either either slovenly or stupid or outright defiant or assaultive. Because you could you could say that Owen's character is, in terms of the hierarchy, is beholden to D'Onofrio's character. And yet he punches him in the face. Do they work for the same company? Yeah, I think so. I thought they knew each other from previously. Well, that's another problem with the movie, that you don't really know who knows who and who's in charge of whom and where it goes. Even the kids, the kids ignoring the mom, like the kid just listening to his Beats headphones in the airport, they're fixing to go on this international trip, and he's just like kind of looking off into space, and whatever, mom, yeah, shut up. To me, that was (laughs) hyper-realistic. All right. I mean, I've seen that during parent-teacher conferences. I get it. Your child doesn't listen. Yes, he does. Jeffrey, put away that music. Right. Right. No, I get it. And I hate it. uh, Okay. All right. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, I I understand your point. (laughs) It doesn't happen in the real world to this extent, though. Like, the Lowry character doesn't get away with having a, a whole desk full of curios. He has more figurines than a than a VW van's uh, yeah, and dashboard. But, but, I mean, I had so many other problems with that whole control room. That There are two technicians, basically, that run everything in the park. There's a lot of And Bryce Dallas there, Howard's in charge of the whole park, but yet she has no real assistance. There's no assistant manager. Assistant was she is a personal assistant. <laughs> She's supposed to be babysitting those kids. I, I, I know, but there'd be a huge chain of command. I mean, when you look at our school that we work at, we have six principals. This is a park that's servicing 20,000 people, and there's a head of a park, and then there are two technicians. <laughs> no, there were a lot more people on that in that. Who did nothing. I know. I, know. I mean, so that's always... Well, they didn't the, have enough curios on their desk. They didn't have enough figurines. But that's always the oversimplification. I mean, All right. So you had problems with the movie, too. Just don't want to admit no, it. No, I'm willing to go. No, I just understand from a narrative you can't have dozens and dozens of characters. There's <laughs> ways to make this movie better. Even you mentioned one that I would have probably liked seeing aside from the movie that we got, which is a TV film crew is there uh, for Animal Planet. <laughs> and then you have a reason to follow a, a shorter, a smaller number of people. Yeah, and you uh, can cut them off and you don't have to see the control right. center. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's a, that makes for a better movie. Hollywood needs to come to me. I, I can plan out their movies <laughs> for them. I'm happy to do it. On uh, Yahoo.com, Jurassic World, all the Easter egg callbacks. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Did you see that Jimmy Buffett was the guy grabbing the margaritas in his restaurant? Oh, no, I didn't know that was Jimmy yeah. Buffett. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot of things. Like I, I was looking for a side-by-side comparison of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, and this has a whole lot of gifts. So if you go to uh, yahoo.com slash movies and then Jurassic World, look for the Easter egg callbacks, and you'll find that. We'll, I'll send you the link, and you can put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, there's also another article on birthmoviesdeath.com mm-hmm. called The Stranger, Strangely Cruel and Unusual Deaths in Jurassic World. And it concentrates on the uh, death of British assistant to Bryce Dallas Howard's <laughs> character, Zara. It goes uh, into why is... It asks a question about why is this character's death so horrific? And why did we linger over this? Like, she she gets brutalized by multiple pterodactyls and then swallowed by the Mosasaur. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's the Animal Kingdom's version of a Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> we haven't talked about the uh, the sort of the wardrobe choices. The, yeah, there's so much. But she's running in those heels, uh-huh. the Claire character. Would it have made the movie better if she had used the heel to perhaps poke out the eye of the pterodactyl at some point? If she had used those heels as a weapon. Yeah. 
And then she could have put on or a like, pair of Nike sneakers and we could have got more product placement. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like she had to crawl up something with those heels. Like crawl up a wall like a Velociraptor, use them as weapons. It would have been like nunchuck, mm-hmm. tied them together with, with, her, with her belt, made some nunchuck heels out of it. No, no, no. That, I think that it would have been, been fun. <laughs> all right. So that's it for Jurassic World. Sorry to crap all over your childhood and your movie. <laughs> no, I still liked it. I'm still happy. I'm thinking now that we've talked about it, I'm even more tempted to go and uh, rewatch it. But I do think when you said the stuff about Claire's outfit, you're right. Um, we had a fan write in, Ashley B. Oh. And one of her comments was, Claire's outfit, horrific. <laughs> not cute, not appropriate. I understand she's on the business side of the park, but I'm tired of women in blockbusters being dressed up and getting dirty. And those heels, come on. No way she ran through the woods, jumped over a ton of stuff, and didn't break her leg or at least a heel. Piff. And white, dot, 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 pure, honest, good people wear white. Evil, money-driven people do not want to hang out with their nephews, and they do not wear white. Oh. (laughs) So, that's some of her thoughts. I, I think I might be posting her whole review on the website. We may have a page on the website where people can submit their... Uh, reviews of the films we talk about. Nice. That's an eloquent uh, take. Yeah. So, on, uh, thank you, Ashley B. Yeah. All right. That's all for Jurassic World, people. Yep. Uh, so now we have to do our summer box office challenge. Four films. They have to go from uh, June 19th to September 4th. They to have to open. When we start at school again. Yep. And what we want you to do as listeners is to send us in some idea for our uh, wager. Where where should we go with it? I was I was thinking that the loser needed to have a tattoo on their forehead of their favorite movie star, of or their favorite, just their, or yeah. just their or their least favorite, <laughs> or just their name. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to go with any body art. No, no. What if it were a temporary temporary tattoo? No, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good on that. All right. So I I mean it can be embarrassing. Well, I think we should leave it up to the viewers to. Write in some interesting ideas. All right, listeners, if you want to, if you have some ideas what we should do, send it on in to uh, thelaughpodcast.com or Facebook at, uh, I don't know, how do they get on Facebook and do it? Facebook.com slash uh, thelaughpodcast. Oh, okay. And then you can also do it on Twitter at thelaughpodcast. Um, all right, so I'm going to let you choose first, Mr. Two Frames. Ooh. Just because I won and I'm. You let me choose first on the last You're being one, so. magnanimous. I'm being magnanimous. I think that this is going to be important, though. This might be the one that will decide. So, choose wisely, Padawan. <laughs> uh, and this is only the opening weekend? Right. For the, the film? opening weekend for the film. The opening Monday, or, uh, sorry, Monday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, if it opens on a Wednesday, and a th- or a Thursday, we don't get those, uh, we don't get that. Oh, we don't get Wednesday no, Thursday? No, we don't get Wednesday Thursday. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, I think for my first film, then, I'm going to have to take Minions. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I chose wisely. Crap. <laughs> that movie is going to be huge, man. Yeah, I can see that doing 80 million easy. It, uh, 120 million. All right. It makes me laugh even better when I've seen every trailer I've seen of that. Flat out funny. Oh my god, that's going to be the best movie of the summer, I think. All right, love me some minions. Damn it. <laughs> Inside Out. In, all right. I'm going right. to jump up to a big lead because it's coming out this weekend. All right. Uh, I think I'm going to have to take Mission Impossible: Road Nation. Damn it, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's no fun going second uh, in these, is it? I'm screwed. <laughs> I think it's over for me. All right. Fine. <sighs> Deal. Oh, man. Now my whole my whole oof <laughs> is messed up. Well, please, inside out, go. All right. Uh, listeners, please make sure that whatever we have to do is very embarrassing. And maybe Stop. even permanent. <laughs> oh, crap. Ant-Man. Ah, dang. I was going for that next. Yeah, whatever. I was. Ant-Man's mine. 
All right, I'm going to take Magic Mike Double XL. Ooh, okay. Now that opens on a Wednesday. I know, but you only get the Thursday or the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I still think it's going to do good box office. <sighs> I, I now, we're, now I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here. You got my top. You got three of my top four movies. All right. <sighs> but because of that, I went with because it's opening on a Wednesday. I went with Ant Man. That was my fifth movie. Well, if you want Terminator, you can take that. No, That's I don't a want Wednesday. that. All right. well, you can have that one too. I'm not even. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Going with Ted too. Ooh. Oh wow. You are going to jump out to a strong lead then. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to hold up. I don't think Ted Two is going to hold up as a movie. All right. I'm for my for my final pick, then I'm going to go with the Fantastic Four. Ooh. All right. It's a good pick. I mean, end of summer. Marvel movie, end of I, summer. I think it's a solid $50 million. It's got a number in it. Yep. <sighs> now I'm left with... Oh, Mr. Two Frames. Choices, choices. Choose wisely. There may be a hidden gem in here. I know. Any Well, they would have to be. Any, any one of these is going to have to be... Well, I mean, I'd have to make it do better than Magic Mike at Double XL. Somehow, what I pick has to do better than Magic Mike Double XL. I don't think I have a chance. You never know. You never know. You got an Adam Sandler comedy. I know. I'm gonna go out on a limb. You got the teen dramedy. You got the science fiction Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Hmm. All right, I'm going with Sinister Two. <laughs> okay. Yep, I'm leaving Paper Towns alone. I'm leaving Pixels alone. I'm going way out on a limb, and I'm picking Sinister too. I have to write that one in on my list of the mm-hmm. twelve films. I or no, I had I tell thirteen you why. films. All right, this is my thought process. It's the only one left that has a number in the title. Oh, you're not going for any original stuff. Hmm. I saw Paper Towns. The, the ad for Paper the the trailer for Paper Towns, and it mm-hmm. looks passable it might do really well it's from the author of the fault in our stars i know john green i know all right so my four are uh number one minions number two mission impossible rogue nation uh number three magic mike double xl and my fourth one was the fantastic four all of yours are either sequels or or reboot yes Hmm. my four were uh inside out Ant-Man, Ted 2, and Sinister 2. I like it. I have two sequels and two original movies. I don't know. It does not bode well. Wait, you're considering Ant-Man original? Yeah, it's it's an original. Yeah, sure. Why is it Based off the comic book? No, I mean, it hasn't been visualized on film Uh, since the 20s or whenever whenever it first came out. Fair enough. Yeah. Like, your Fantastic Four is a complete new reboot. Yeah, yeah. But it's also been a movie. So, yeah, it's got a built-in audience. This is the fourth Fantastic Four film. Yeah. Might finally get a decent one. Fantastic. They should have called it Fantastic Part Four. But isn't it? It's an origin thing, right? It's Yeah, it's a reboot of a reboot. All right. All right. (coughs) Uh, I like it. uh, I like it. I I feel good. I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. Yeah, we what may have to change the rules because I, I, it seems to be whoever goes first is winning these suckers. Yeah, what are you, what are you going to do to sweeten the pot here? Nothing. <laughs> You're not going to give me another one of these other movies. If I give you another movie, do I get the first two days of Magic Mike XL, Double XL? No. All right, we'll we'll see. We'll have to re-examine our our box office challenge and see whether or not we need to snake them. We might need to do a snake draft. All right, that fair. might that might have been fair. That might have made the difference in this last set. I so, agree. No, we'll leave it as it is, and I'll have my permanent tattoo of uh, a character of my choosing. Yeah, Farrah Fawcett. I think I'm going to make you get uh, Waldo from Where's Waldo. All right. So then you'll always be looking for Waldo. You'll never be able to find him because he's on your forehead. Right. Everyone else will know Where's Waldo. And if you, if I win, you get a tattoo of the character tattoo from Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It. All right, so 
that was our show. Yeah, next week, any ideas for the show? Oh, there's a whole lot out there. I want to do a uh, a summer preview, but I'll tell you how I want to do it. I think we should make recommendations for people that we know are listeners of the show. Uh, like, I could do a recommendation for you. You could give a recommendation to Ken Z or Nicole C or Tony C or Ashley B or whoever. Just we can kind of structure it that way in terms of who we think where the movies we think our friends and listeners might enjoy. All right. Sounds so we good. Can make a make out a little list there. So I think that would be a good one to do. The summer preview. Maybe inside out. Uh, if we go see that, we might yeah. want to work those two together. We can do a little mini review on it. And we still have the um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, whenever we can get the registrar on here to talk about the play he was in. So there's a lot of ideas out there. If you have any ideas for future shows, you can send it to us at those addresses we already gave you. Um, you don't really have to go over them again there, Mr. Two Frames. All right, so John Hammond said all major theme parks have delays. When they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. And Ian Malcolm replies, Yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. For Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Trade. Pox at Bodum, everybody. There be dragons. Or dinosaurs. lights are never good huh just like red buttons are never good yeah though i do want to make a coffee table that comes with a red button see how many people push it yeah you put the red button somewhere in your living room where the coffee table is and then you know you make an excuse to get out of the room oh let me go get that cake out of the oven if they push the red button one of the legs on the coffee table falls off so the whole table tips over and everything goes crashing so it's pretty embarrassing. It's like my right, dad but, always wanted to put... Uh, but who's the joke on? Ultimately, the joke's on you. My dad always wanted to put uh, <laughs> marbles inside the medicine cabinet. So when company comes over, if they go look, you know, in your medicine cabinet, all these marbles come crashing down, makes a bunch of racket. Uh-huh. He always thought that'd be funny. Uh, yeah. No. But again, who's the joke on? <laughs> Ultimately, who has to clean it all up?